Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show was presented to you by Gastelich Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gastelichfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz, and we're talking about how will the new tax law impact giving to nonprofits. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today Christy Eckhoff, who's the Managing Director of the Community Foundation, and Evan Pearson, Director of Development with Hillside, Inc. And before we get started with uh, our topic, why don't I have each of you just sort of tell our audience a little bit about who each of you are. So, Christy, why don't you start? Sure. So, I'm Christy Eckhoff, Managing Director and Philanthropic Counsel at the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. And what I do at the Community Foundation is I really help professional advisors and their clients find tax-efficient ways for people to really maximize their giving and also figure out what their passions are and what they can give to and what are the most effective nonprofits doing the work that they're really passionate about. All right. And Evan? Of course, he's one of the more effective nonprofits that absolutely. you should be giving to, I assume, <laughs> is what he's going to say. That, that is absolutely true. I'm Evan Pearson. I'm the Director of Development for Hillside. Uh, we are an organization, a mental health organization that works with children and adolescents, and we are actually celebrating our 130th year tomorrow night. So, Christy, uh, if you have any uh, engaged donors, we'll be happy to talk to them. As you can tell, my, my role exactly. at Hillside is to uh, engage donors and, and the community to, uh, to support the work that we're doing. All right. Uh, ooh, all right. Let's jump into our, our topic. Uh, tax Reform Act. We've we've heard all about the Tax Reform Act and all the different things it affects. But one of the, one of the big things big things it affected was charitable giving. There were provisions that changed how we can give and what uh, deductions we can take. So, if why don't we tell the audience a little bit about how charitable giving has been affected by the latest round of tax changes? Um, sure. So I'll start. One of the big things that happened is that the standard deduction for most people is doubling. Um, from prior years. So what that means is that you need to hit a certain threshold in order to be able to itemize your deductions. And the charitable deduction is one of those deductions that is itemized. And so now if you're a married couple, you need to have $24,000 worth of deductions in order to be able to um, itemize and be able to take the charitable deduction. Let, let, let's, let's ask that kind of upside down. So when we heard about the tax laws uh, when we were, when they were being passed, they said, "Oh, we're preserving the charitable deduction." Absolutely. But now, not as many people can take it. Exactly. So, what uh, um, some of the studies have shown is that right now, about forty-six million people are able to itemize their deductions and take the charitable deductions. Um, now, with the new tax act, it's going to be about thirteen million people who are able to take that charitable deduction. Part of the problem is not just that they've raised the deduction, they've also eliminated some things you used to be able to itemize, right? Absolutely. So most of those miscellaneous um, deductions are gone now. And so you've got your mortgage interest, you've got state and local taxes, which is capped at $10,000 per tax return. You've got some medical deductions still available, and then the charitable deduction. And that's it. Why is this bad? I mean, so what? Aren't people going to give anyway? I think so, and w this year we're, we're seeing folks with their the changes in the tax laws, the immediate changes, uh, their paychecks have gone up, the stock market's up, so right now they're feeling wealthy, they're feeling good about what's happening, and giving is steady if not increased a little bit. I think we have to be optimistically cautious and see what happens when a full year goes through, but we're just entering into the, the fourth quarter. 
So this is when charities start to see their their Black Fridays start to, to show up in the fourth quarter and towards the end of the year. We'll really see what's happening now, and it's going to be incumbent on the charities to really engage their donors and keep them throughout the year so when they're figuring out what's happening in tax year 2019, the drop-off doesn't happen if well, it's going to happen. Are most donors making um, decisions based on whether their donation is tax deductible? No. No. So most people give because they love the organization or they have some obligation towards the organization or they're involved in the organization in some way. What taxes really do is affect how much they're going to give. So instead of maybe giving $5,000, they're going to give $2,000 because they're not able to itemize and take that um, deduction. And, you know, this year we really haven't seen an effect. Only two um, There's only a drop of 2%. In giving. When you say this so year, you mean year. tax year 2018. Tax year 2018. So what I think is going to happen is that we are not going to see the effects until tax year 2019. Because they're going to see how it affected their taxes in 2018. You know, the average person who makes a $1,000 gift to a charity is going to be sitting in front of their computer April 14th um, on TurboTax, putting in their charitable deductions, and they're not going to see their taxes go down like they always do. And they're going to wonder why. Well, I'm kind of curious. Do you think TurboTax, when you put it in, because I've done in other programs, they ask you the questions, and they say, you know, did you adopt anybody? Did you give to charity? Did you buy a boat? And they ask a lot of weird questions. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you can't use them. And they'll say, no, you're not going to itemize. Do they also say, and therefore you don't get the charity, charitable deduction? Because that information jumping out at you is going to be interesting to the taxpayer. Exactly. And, you know, the problem is, is that you have to take, you know, make your charitable contribution by December 31st in order to be able to take the charitable deduction. And you're not going to be able to really see how that impacts your taxes until you file your taxes, you know, later on in 2019. But if I'm that thousand dollar donor and Last year, my itemized, I itemized in order, and included that $1,000 donation in order to get where I could itemize. If this year I'm covered in that standard deduction, I don't know, I don't know if my decision is going to be made on that because I'm still going to see what my tax bill is. And you mentioned TurboTax. Mm -hmm. TurboTax will come and say, you know, you're better off with the standard deduction or you're better off itemizing. So if I've put all that in and it says, oh, you're better, and I've included my deduction, it says, oh, you're better off with the standard deduction, well, great, I'm good to go, and I gave to charity. So it all, mentally, it still works for me. So and what you're saying is the lower-level donors, those who are not the uber-rich, um, from your perspective, you don't think there'll be a change. Or for the people who, you know, it's not a hardship for them to write a $1,000 check or a $5,000 check or a $20,000 check. For most of us, I think it's, you kind of think about it for a minute if you're making a donation that's, you know, over $1,000. Well, I'm looking at, so in December, I get from every single source that you can possibly imagine solicitations. And for the charities that I am most involved in, I've already really given my gifts, and I may give a dollar or two, so to speak, in the, in the annual campaign, but I've already given. But for the other charities that I may some years give, some years not give, a lot of it is based on do I have the money? And do you have the relationship? If you're, if you're in December and your first coming to the, that conclusion in your head, do I have the money? Do I really want to give to this person? Have I not heard from them since last December? Then that's, that's where your decision's probably made, not necessarily whether or not you have an extra $100 in your checkbook to give to them. Well, that, that depends on how connected you are to the charities you're giving to, right? I mean, if you're just getting solicited and you're writing a check to you know, the Kidney Foundation or whatever, 
be not as connected, but, but with a charity like yours and with a lot of other charities that are closer to home or in the communities, people tend to be more connected to those charities. And will, you think those donors will be affected by tax law changes? I think they'll be probably affected in, in how they give and maybe when they give. Um, it's the, those who are giving much bigger gifts, uh, you know, 10,000 and, and maybe above, chances are they're giving from a different vehicle than their checkbook. They're, they're planning a lot more in how they give and, and how they distribute what they have versus someone who's writing a $1,000 check or even $15,000, $2,000. That's probably coming from the checkbook and you're, you're opening it up and saying, okay, I have it in there because if I write this out, I know I, how much I have left until the next paycheck and I'm good to go. Let's be a little more nerdy because that's kind of my nature. So if you're giving a substantial gift that you have the ability to give a substantial gift, you're probably going to be able to take advantage of the deduction. And, and so it really may not change how you're giving. Right. And actually, larger donors are benefiting from this um, tax law change because they no longer, especially the higher income taxpayers, they're no longer subject to what they used to call the Pease Amendment, which um, could create a haircut. What, what is the Pease Amendment? Um, so the Pease Amendment was something that um, you could have an up to 3% haircut on itemized deductions if you were at a certain level um, of income. And it could actually cause a reduction of almost up to 80% of your charitable deduction and really erode into that. And so that's no longer in effect. So there's no limitations so anymore on the charitable deduction for high-income taxpayers. So wealthier donors are better off. Are better it. off. And are there some other things, I think, in the tax law that are better for wealthy donors as well? What else is there? Um, so, you know, again, you've got the estate tax. Um, issue. You know, if you've got a $22 million estate, if you're a couple, you're still going to be, um, you know, you're not, unless you're over $22 million, you're not subject to, you know, the estate tax anymore. And that's a, you know, huge thing. You know, I don't know many people who are going to um, have the privilege of paying the estate tax. <laughs> I think we should all be so lucky. <laughs> so in one, in one sense, you now have more money to give away. In the other, only if you really have a lot of money is the charitable deduction going to be helpful. Absolutely. There, there's also what, what there used to be rules on adjusted gross income that some ha sometimes limited what you're giving. Have those right. changed? So cash gifts, you're now um, able to give up to 60% of adjusted gross income, and it used to be 50%. But, um, you know, the Community Foundation, we deal with a lot of high-income taxpayers and a lot of charitable dollars. We steward about $1.1 billion right now. Um, I've never seen anyone reach that 50% of adjusted gross income for cash gifts, let alone 60%. Except for my partner, Adam. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. There we you see go. that every year yeah. from Adam. Uh, is, uh, is there talk now about um, maybe Congress changing the rules on how you deduct uh, charitable contributions above the line versus below the line? Um, there and, is and, is some, that, and is that realistic? There is some talk, but we really don't see that there's going to be any realistic um, movement on this. You know, the charitable sector, as wonderful as we are, we're not the greatest lobbyists. Um, and we're not the greatest at coming together um, around a, a central issue. Um, it takes a long time, and you know, with the current Congress, we well, really there, don't there, see nothing any gets movement. done. There's currently pending, though I have no idea what it is, but I'm getting information sent to me. House uh, Bill 5771. For those that care, that say please lobby your Congress representative because this will allow everybody to deduct charitable deductions regardless of the itemized. And you're telling me, Christy, no chances? I don't think so. But um, And, and, you know, yet, and you, yet if you polled Americans, there's nobody who wouldn't say, that sounds like a good idea. Exactly. It, you know, things sound like a wonderful idea, but actually trying to get them through Congress and get them passed, I think, is, is a, a totally number 
um, different thing if it gets attached to something that um, is is really you know has some momentum then maybe it really does help a lot of middle class people Evan Absolutely. do you think that the Congress will do this or no no I, I think it's it's not going anywhere <laughs> it was the middle class that did it right well and and as Christy said uh, nonprofits in general they're not going to go to Capitol Hill and, and plead their case and, and, and make such a, a stand that Congress is going to take notice. So, you know, if a, if a couple million people, as big as that number may sound, their taxes or, or they don't give as much or things like that happen, it's not it's not a big enough issue to, to oh, raise. But it's not just charities that would want it. It's every single taxpayer in America, right? In theory, so everyone would want it, assuming yes. Assuming you're paying taxes. and realizing you know, Half Correct. America doesn't pay taxes. Right. In theory, you would want it, yes, but if... In, in the big scheme of things, is it, are you willing to call your congressman and tell them that you want House Bill 5771 approved? The truth is I actually am and have, but yeah. I may be alone. Uh, the Tax Policy Center has estimated that the charitable giving will go down. And, and candidly, when, we, when the, we were doing the Tax Reform Act, when we're kind of ranking it or whatever to see how much money will go in and out with the tax cuts, they, they – evaluated the fact that there would be fewer charitable deductions and therefore more tax being paid to the to the treasury right. what what are the numbers i mean what ranges are we talking about so we're really talking about um 12 to 20 billion dollars a year of, of net of, of, loss of, of net of loss for charities um and that's probably on a base of about 400 billion dollars a year which doesn't sound a, like a lot but what you have to realize is that that 400 billion counts these huge mega gifts that really have you know little effect on most nonprofits. So yesterday, MIT announced a 350 million dollar gift. Harvard announced a hundred million dollar gift, and I think Harvard announces a gifts over a hundred million dollars every week. Yeah, it seems that way. So, so Evan, how so, many of those you know. has Hillside gotten so far? I'm just waiting for your check to clear. <laughs> so, so if we take out the mega gifts, the larger gifts that we're hearing about. How big an impact would this be on what I would consider to be the normal charities that, that many of us are giving to? So I think it's going to have a huge impact on charities that rely on that mid-range donor who's giving probably $2,500 to $20,000 a year. That's where they're going to see see the biggest hit. Um, and what, you know, again, I don't think we're going to see it this year. We're going to see it, you know, in 2019. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. Today we're talking with Christy Eckhoff, Managing Director of the Community Foundation, and Evan Pearson, Director of Development with Hillside. And we're talking about how will the new tax law impact giving uh, to nonprofits. And, And with regard to what you were just saying a second ago, most people give out of a donative intent. They, they, they feel moved to give to charity. Those people are going to continue to give. You've said that they may give less, but do, do you really think they will? If you were going to give $1,000 to charity, to your church, to your, uh, you know, a community uh, of, uh, event of some sort, do you really think people are going to uh, uh, analyze that and say, since I'm not getting a deduction, this is only worth 700 to me, so I'll just give 700 this time? Or so, so I think we've got a test case right now um, in 2018 that's going to be very, very interesting to see. Um, one of the things in the tax law is that you can no longer deduct um, charitably any contribution made for um, that would affect any kind of college um, athletic seat licenses. 
Ooh. So for that, bigger that donors, that's going to be a big deal. So it, it, exactly, and also kind of for that five to twenty, you know, thousand dollar donor who gives to the Arch Foundation at University of Georgia in order to get in the lottery for football tickets or something like that, you used to be able to take an eighty percent charitable deduction for that contribution. You can no longer take any charitable contribution um, for those things anymore. And so, you know, of course, schools are getting creative about you know, how they, how they do this and what they call, you know, licensing and what they call preferences. Um, but I think we've got a good test case to kind of see what happens with that. Um, several people who I've talked to who look at this um, kind of on a macro level think that there will be a dip in giving um, when the results come out next June with Giving USA, and they think it's going to be attributable to this to the, to the, one to factor. To the licensing. To the, seat, to the seat licensing, and there'll be a slight dip um, in charitable giving. Charitable giving has kind of gone up at a you know, fairly steady pace, um, especially with the bull market we've been in. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see what that happens. And I think if we see a dramatic um, dip as a result of that, then I think um, we're going to be in trouble. I, I'm always curious when we're talking about giving, the difference between giving to your church or synagogue or mosque or some religious charity versus the non-religious charities, from, from my anecdotal perspective, people give to their churches more or first. Yes. Is that, do, do we think that's going to affect the non-religious giving? It, in, in all giving, uh, religion tackles all. They're, they're always the top giver. Um, and it's right followed uh, closely to education. So those two, those two always seem to weather the storms. Well, re- religion is also a more public way of giving, and not, exactly. not public in the, in the general sense, but public in the sense in your of community. The, in the community. Yes. And it, so if you, give, if you give less to your church or, or, um, or synagogue or mosque, um, everybody in that church knows that you gave less. Correct. They don't necessarily know that you gave to the Humane Society, but they sure know how much you gave and, to, and, to and the so I would think I would think that that uh, churches would be relatively immune to uh, the kind of analysis that we're talking about, where you're going to get a little less tax benefits, you're going to give a little less, right? They'll uh, they'll be they'll weather the storm a little better if, if there's a pending storm coming. Your your charities down at the your social services, your your arts organizations, those are the ones that that really have to be more creative in engaging their donors. Mm-hmm. Um, as Christy mentioned before, so the universities, you can't deduct seat licenses anymore, so they're being more creative in how they engage the donors and still receive that money, and that's what's gonna be incumbent upon that. So if, if I've got a donor in that five to $20,000 range who's kind of hemming and hawing on what they're gonna do, I'm hoping that I've got them as part of the organization. So they're, they're at least considering, okay, how do I make this gift happen? And then as a, as a development professional, my, my goal is to bring to the table someone like Christy or, or, or uh, their financial planners and say, how do we make this happen? What is, what is the best way for the donor to achieve what they want to achieve, but for them to still be engaged and be part of the organization? If they're giving $20,000 a year, I don't think they're just going to say, oh, tax laws change. I'm done giving to you. That's a big investment to be a part of the organization to then all of a sudden just say I'm done. So let's ask this question. You're sitting there at Hillside. It's a great, great place to give. And what are you doing different today to bring in donors that you didn't do last year because of the tax law? I'm being much more aggressive in trying to get folks to campus so that they can meet our therapists, meet our doctors, see the the kids at school, um, see the interactions that's going on, um, where I can, and I'm I'm being more... um, 
forthcoming with, with parents, trying to get them in, engaged and be spokespeople for us. It's very powerful when a parent comes and is meet, willing to meet with, with an organization and say, without Hillside, my child wouldn't be here. So you're trying to give them a connection and to the organization. Make, much more focused on making a connection to the organization so that the dollars are not the focus. It's, it's the help and the, the lives that they're changing. So you're focused. Yeah. I was going to say, Chrissy, you, you deal with a lot of charities. Are you seeing a lot of these charities doing the same sorts of things? Um, some, and then some I just think are not prepared. And so what I do is I have been talking to a lot of um, organizations where there are development professionals, finance professionals in nonprofits, just to kind of educate them about what some donors may be doing um, to, to tackle this this issue um, you know one of the things that we've seen is a concept called bunching and that's where that's not where you jump off of something and no it's uh, not bungee jumping mm -hmm. it's it, it's called bunching and so what you do is you bunch all your charitable contributions in one year so that you can actually itemize your deduction get over that standard deduction hump um, and you use timing in order to, you know, not make any charitable contributions in, you know, your second year or third year, and then maybe you bunch all your charitable deductions again in year four. Um, one of the ways that people can do that is very efficiently is through donor advised funds, where you can put money into a donor advised funds, take an immediate charitable deduction, and then grant that money out to any nonprofit over your own timetable. So that works out perfectly. But for people who don't use donor advised funds and all of a sudden they're a $5,000 a year donor and they give Hillside $25,000 this year, um, you know, Hillside has to go, okay, they're usually a $5,000 a year donor. Are they intending to give us $25,000 this year? If so, great, then maybe next year I'll ask for 30. Or are they intending for this to cover the next five years? And if that's true, if, they, if, they, if the charity has the ability to track and I'm on the board of a lot of charities, many don't have the financial backbone or back office to really track it. But even assuming they can, how does the charity deal with the fact that they got a 25 this year, and even though they know it's not going to be coming the next year, how do they not spend the money? How do they, exactly. what do they do? I mean, that's what they have to decide. You know, they've got, you know, cash flow issues then. They've also got stewardship issues um, then because, you know, the donor thinks, okay, I gave you $25,000. I should be at that $25,000 level and go have, you know, lunch with the president of the university. Um, but, you know, the university is treating you as a $5,000 a year donor because that's what your intention was. And so you're not getting that invitation to, you know, have lunch with the president. And the donor's like, wait a minute, I gave you $25,000. Or they see the annual report, um, you know, the next year, and they're listed at the $5,000 level, and they call Evan, and they go, hey, I gave you $25,000. What's wrong? Why am I not in this higher level? So how do you deal with all of that? I think it's going to be interesting. And I do think when you mentioned like a university where it's a public, uh, a state institution, that you're going to see different rules on can you set aside the money? Right. I mean, you, if you put it in an endowment, there's certain rules. Are you allowed to use a reserve? I mean, Evan, are charities thinking about this? They should be, and it, it's going to depend, as Chris said, on the organization. So at Hillside, if a gift like that came in, the first thing I'm doing is I'm calling the donor to find out if everything's okay. You know, was there was there a death? Was there was there is this something getting paid out, or is this an example of bunching? And you're going to have a conversation with the donor. You're going to engage them and, and bring them in to find out what's happening, so that you don't 
make the mistake of crediting $25,000 this year and zero next year and the donor looking like nothing happens. But the organization's got to figure out, and it, it's going to be, uh, it could be a feast or famine. If I've got, you know, serious cash flow issues, that $25,000 comes in, I might very well be thinking I've got to fix today and I'll worry about tomorrow or tomorrow. Um, but if I'm only depending or was maybe only expecting a $5,000 gift, you got to hope that the financial restraint is there to put that $20,000 aside in you know, and technically, you know, a savings account. Financial restraint. Yes. <laughs> Connecting with a charity who is trying very hard it's, to do the best they can yes. with limited funds. I, I find that hard. It yeah. is. And can that $20,000 feed another 10,000, you know, people? Or do they forego um, the services that their mission And that's where the board is. That's, a, that's board oversight where yeah. they come in and say, okay, we've got this gift. What We have a decision to make. Do we Do we take care of everything we can right now or do we... And as you said, do we, we, we almost make an endowment sort of vehicle and then pay it out over the next five years? Because we talk to the donor and we know that this is every five years, this is what they're going to do now. So we've got a plan for that. So what's your advice? What do you what should we uh, should, to the nonprofit leaders, the development directors, the experts like Christy, what should you be telling your, the boards? That, that this is going to happen and you need to have a plan for it and you need to be physically responsible you know at the community foundation we you know really look for strong nonprofits and one of those strengths is cash flow and so you've got to really and predictability exactly yeah. and you've got to really understand cash flow um, and it's not just one year cash flow it's you know you're gonna have to start doing three five year cash flow projections and really be disciplined um, on the financial and if you see a bunch of your donors using this kind of bunching technique or you know, encourage them to use donor advised funds so the money's not coming to you. So you don't have to make that decision and you're getting your regular payout and it's business as usual. Does this mean that we're going to see that more established, uh, larger charities that have the back offices are going to be the ones that the community foundations of the world, United Way or others that are umbrella organizations push towards to the, to the detriment of smaller charities or are smaller charities still going to be okay? You know, I, I think it depends on the smaller charity. Um, and there's some small charities that are wonderfully managed, um, and they get it, and they, they understand cash flow. Um, you know, one of the things that we used to do is we actually used to do classes for nonprofits on cash flow because people really didn't think about it. Um, before, but it's a really important thing for financial management. So I think nonprofits are getting the message that this is something that they should be paying attention to. I think um, what happened in 2008 um, with the market crash um, and a lot of nonprofits were very much in peril because they didn't um, have the fiscal restraint and the um, fiscal management in order to handle that. Um, because donations went down. Donations went That's down, tough. and especially for arts organizations and social services um, organizations. So, and, and it's at the same time, that government funding for those has gone absolutely, down. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, again, you know, it's incumbent on those nonprofit boards to go. Okay, we can't just rely on development and contributions anymore. We've got to figure out earned revenue. Um, you know, we've got to become so-called profitable what, what and really earned, run it as a business. What is earned revenue? I'm not sure I understand. So earned revenue is something that a nonprofit um, does. So it's ticket sales um, for an arts organization. It's um, you know, ticket sales to the aquarium. 
it's um, providing services to a for-profit group. So we, I was at a theater company yesterday, and they provide improv training for corporate groups. And now, and is they that money that, that is that taxable to the charity? It can be if it's unrelated to their mission. If it's related to their mission, then it's not taxable. And the reason I ask that is I believe there was something in the new tax law that makes the taxability or non-taxability of that a challenge for the nonprofit. Can you can you explain that? Sure. So um, unrelated business income tax, affectionately called UBIT, um, is something that nonprofits pay for any income that they earn that is unrelated to their mission. Um, and this can be as varied as proceeds from a bookstore at a university to proceeds from a hedge fund investment. Um, this is, you know, just things that are outside that mission that they're earning money on. Um, and so what happened before the tax law changes is you could take all these different businesses, so to speak, and lump them all together. Some lost money, some gained money, and you can net them out against each other. Um, and then that would be what you paid for your unrelated business income tax. Um, now under the new tax law, you have to segment every business, we think. Um, we don't know because we don't have any regulations telling us what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so, you know, we may have to take every single hedge fund that somebody's invested in and, <coughs> excuse me, say that, okay, we're going to have to pay unrelated business income tax on every single individual hedge fund um, and then go into all of our different businesses and pay unrelated business income tax on every s different bookstore or um, t-shirt sale or something along those lines. And so you can't combine them anymore. So from a weird perspective, on the one hand, there's a real incentive for charities to reach out and see if there are non-mission related things they can do, whether it be restaurants or, sale or book sales or on the one hand. On the other hand, when you do that, you can't wash it out and you may actually pay a tax. Exactly. But if you're paying a tax on revenue that you weren't expecting or revenue that's increased. It's not, a bad, not a bad thing either. It's a good result, but right. you, may not have, you may not have budgeted the tax. Exactly. Yes. And, and the problem is, is that for all the existing things that you used to be able to net out, you can't do that anymore. And so there may be some unexpected tax and there's also going to be um, a windfall for accountants in this business as well. There, there, there always is. <laughs> when why, why isn't there a windfall for lawyers who handle disputes? Because, yeah. you know, that, I, I always think there that's will, a There will thing. be. Don't worry. Your, your lobby is not strong enough. <laughs> You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. Your hosts today are Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We are talking today with Evan Pearson, Director of Development with Hillside, and Christy Eckhoff, Managing Director of the Community Foundation. And we're talking about how the Tax Reform Act will impact giving to nonprofits. Are, are there things in the new tax law that, that benefit the average taxpayer with regard to charitable giving? From the, the, I mean, the wealthy ones we've talked about, um, right, well, the Peace well, Act and all that, but... I think they're, I think your, your donor that's maybe giving that 250 to up to 5,000, maybe in that, that, that lower range there, who's giving to a couple of different charities that um, their, their deduction possibly, where, where they are, their deduction's gone up actually. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're seeing, they're potentially seeing more uh, they're, benefit. They're, they're, they're coming out ahead in theory with how much they see in their paycheck right now, how much uh, their taxes they're gonna owe. So they're hopefully, and this is what we're kind of leaning towards, 
is that they're seeing they're seeing their their, their cash flow. Well, managed. they're they're effectively getting a deduction for charitable contributions without actually having to make the charitable contributions. When you, you they've doubled it from what fourteen thousand to twenty eight thousand. 12 to 24. 12 to 24. So the extra 12,000 of deduction they're getting is, you know, if they had made $12,000 of additional charitable contributions the year before, they would be in the same position as they will be now without making the deductions. Is there a, a, an argument to uh, these potential donors that you're already getting the deduction, you ought to make the contribution? I try to stay away from those <laughs> conversations. Those ought tos. <laughs> yeah, be, because then, then I get into a conversation of, of, of tax law, and I get into a conversation of wealth planning and, and things of that nature where my ultimate goal is to bring a donor into the organization and into the mission where their, their dollars are following their passion and they're making a difference. So millennials right now is a big conversation that we're having, and millennials tend to rent. So there's no mortgage deduction. Mm -hmm. They're much more uh, engaged with an organization. They're not just writing checks. So they're, they're t traditionally in that lower dollar amount. So this tax law benefits them because they, don't, they, don't, they weren't coming close to, to that amount before. So they should be seeing the difference. And then hopefully, if I'm doing my job, I'm seeing the benefits of that too because they're, they're wealthier, whether fact or fiction in their minds they're wealthier ask my 24 year old son whether he feels wealthier uh but <laughs> you gotta the, have an income person the, ta yeah. the tax <laughs> the tax brackets have also gone down mm -hmm. so those who the higher tax brackets you know it's now down to 37 percent once you get over a certain number they're going to have more money that's kind of the goal so how do, do well, non although people who had that level of, of income already had more money. Exactly. Sure, but they're going to have, in theory, a little bit more. That's the goal. I mean, that's what, what we're told happens. How does a nonprofit, if you're not going to give tax advice in December, what should or can you do to encourage either the donor or talking to financial planners earlier on to let the donors know, start planning your giving with this money, use it now, and, and figure out a way to do it earlier? Because... I have found if you have cash in your pocket, you tend to spend it. Mm -hmm. yeah, but we if you plan it, you, you, you do a better job. How do we get donors to do that, knowing that there might be more, quote, unquote, cash in yeah. their pockets? So we always say that our biggest competition at the Community Foundation is consumption. Um, you, can't, you can't compete with that. Um, so I think it's really incumbent on financial advisors, um, accountants, you know, estate planning attorneys, to really talk to their donors about philanthropy and legacy. Although consumption is not just buying things, it's also paying for experiences. And maybe, e maybe exactly. charities need to focus on the uh, experience aspect of giving. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what we're seeing now. And we're also seeing people who want to give differently. And so, you know, there's something called impact investing now. Um, and it's not your traditional charitable giving where you give a gift, you take a tax deduction, and you never see the money again. You know, this is really kind of, we call it, um, you know, rinse, watch, repeat um, type of giving where you um, give a loan to a charity at a low or no interest rate. The charity pays it back over, you know, a longer period of time than they could get in the financial markets. Um, and then when the donor gets that money back, they're able to reinvest it um, into another nonprofit or another socially viable um, type of enterprise. And so we're seeing a lot of interest um, in that as well. And, and let's, let's talk about that because when you do that, there are other alternatives. Let's talk for the donors. It doesn't have to be an interest-free loan or nothing. 
It can be an interest-free loan and some loan forgiveness over Absol time. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there's lots of varieties that you can do. Absolutely. And we see a lot of people um, wanting to do that through their donor-advised fund what, what, as uh, well because they because they do get that charitable deduction when they put the money in the donor-advised fund. And then instead of making a straight-out grant to a nonprofit from the fund, they're able to make these impact investments um, instead and actually keep their charitable dollars flowing through the system. But, but in terms of impact giving, we're talking about you know, millennials, but a lot of people are interested in impact giving as opposed to simply you know, United Way type giving. Exactly. Uh, is, is there any talk among uh, uh, charities of, of going to potential donors and, and, and interesting them in a project? You know, this, this, uh, this school needs a playground. Can you and 10 of your friends donate $1,000 each and let's build a playground? Is that uh, a, a maybe a better way of engaging some people in the process? So that's actually what we focused on and that kind of came from a board discussion on down through through the staff that more and more people are shying away from unrestricted giving, that they want to know what's happening, where, where their money's going, what the impact is. So we have gone to that kind of model of this is exactly where it is and this is exactly what's happening. It's not necessarily bricks and mortar, but a scholarship fund. I mean, I very clearly can show you that how many dollars are given and how many days of service Hillside's able to do if you give to our, our scholarship fund. And those are dollars that go to families who wouldn't otherwise receive services. That's a direct impact. Not, you know, it doesn't always have to be, we built a new library and you can come see the building. So yeah. I'm hearing kind of a list of things that charities, nonprofits are doing that are, that, are, that are important. So I want to kind of talk about them and then add some more. So we've talked about having much more experiences on campus, things that you can do, feel, and touch. Yes. Really emphasizing engagement. Taking your current constituents and making them ambassadors for you. And you're talking now, when you talk about impact giving, you're talking about not only giving them a specific project, but putting on the nonprofits kind of an obligation to report back what's happening, and that kind of fosters things. We've talked about bunching, and we've talked about donor-advised funds. What else can we do that would be helpful to the donor, but would also be helpful to the charities? So we're kind of taking an opposite approach from this project-based giving. And we really emphasize general operating support and unrestricted dollars, because those are the hardest dollars to give. Any of the grant making that we at the Community Foundation make from our unrestricted funds is for only for general operating support. We do not give project-based giving. How do you tap into to encourage somebody to say, you may have money you don't know you have to give, and I'm, I'm obviously leading you a bit because I'm a lawyer, yeah. but things like appreciated gifts, stocks, what, what are those, where do they play into in today's world? So that's um, a lot of the education that we do at the Community Foundation, both with nonprofits, advisors, and um, potential donors to nonprofits. Um, Atlanta is uh, really bad at giving of assets. You know, when you look at a person's wealth, 80% is in their assets, 20% is in cash. We're really good at asking for that 20% of cash. We're really bad at asking for that 80% of assets. Even though the 80% assets would be a better use of giving dollars, right? A absolutely. It's, it's much, much more impactful, much, you know, you can leverage why. it Explain up. Explain why it's better. So if, if you have appreciated assets, such as something as simple as publicly traded stock, um, if you give $100,000 of that publicly traded stock to a charity, you take a fair market value deduction for that $100,000 and you pay no capital gains. 
on um, what you would have had to um, pay for that stock if you had sold it out in the open marketplace. So it's much more tax effective giving, and you can actually, you know, as opposed to giving a cash gift, this, you know, that hundred thousand dollar gift may have like a twelve thousand dollar more impact by giving through stock than giving through cash. So it's you know twelve thousand dollars less out of your own pocket so, so to just, give. Just looking at it, you're sitting here. You're sitting there in let's say September, right before the October. Uh, a, a tax extension, and you have a stock that went way up, and you want to give $5,000 or $10,000, if you gave the cash, you might get a deduction if you can itemize, but if you gave that stock, you're still going to get the deduction, but you might also avoid a tax. Right, and correct? even if you can't take that deduction, you're still avoiding that capital gains tax. Because you would have had to pay to that capital gains tax anyway, no matter what your deduction status is. And now you can take that same $5,000, buy the stock at the appreciated value, exactly. and get to the same place. Talk a little bit, because we're running out of time, about how you can use IRAs and retirement funds, because I think that's a, a good use for many donors. So there's um, something called the IRA charitable rollover, where if you're 70 and a half or older, you can give up to $100,000 out of your IRA. Um, and that counts towards your required minimum distribution. That money goes directly to a charity. Um, do not take it out yourself and give it to charity. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay tax on it. And you're you know, not doing what you're supposed to be doing to avoid that. You take no tax deduction, but you don't take it into income either. So it's just a straight wash right out of your IRA. And that's a great, and effective way. And remember, a lot of our retired donors are lowering their income tax bracket. So as you take money out of IRAs, you have to pay a tax. Exactly. But they may otherwise be very generous with their savings to give. By switching it to IRAs, you get a double dip Absolutely. in a good way. Absolutely. And, and then they may also, not need the income. Yep. So they can give it out of their IRA. They're not looking at their, again, as Christy said, they're, most people are giving out of their checkbooks and we're not thinking assets. Yep. So those, those donors, if they're moving it out, they, they, in their minds, maybe haven't lost anything. Yeah, and then, you know, sale of business, all that other kind of stuff. You really we're almost done. Charity. Let me ask one quick question, and then we're going to kind of get to the end. How difficult is it to set up a donor-advised fund? It takes five minutes. And, and tell us what a donor-advised fund is. So a donor-advised We probably fund. should have done that at the beginning of the show. But. I, told, I said a little bit about it, yeah. but um, a donor-advised fund is a fund at a sponsoring organization. That sponsoring organization is a 501c3 public charity so you give to that supporting organization. They put the money or the assets into this donor-advised fund that's segmented for you. Um, you take an immediate tax deduction. Um, that money is invested, um, and you're able to grant that money out to any nonprofit organization, religious institution, educational institution um, on your own timetable. So there's no restriction that you have to give it all out in one year or five years or 5% a year. There's no restriction on it whatsoever. And we find that our donors at the Community Foundation um, give out about 30 to 35% of their donor advised fund every year. So in, in essence, you can take a deduction now and give more in a given year, but you can pay it out over three or four years. Absolutely. And it's still growing tax-free. Absolutely. So if you're going to bunch your donor advised funds, your vehicle you need to look at. Yeah, that's that's the vehicle to do. Because then it. you don't then you don't necessarily change how you give to the nonprofit. Well, if you know you're going to give uh, you know ten thousand dollars a year for the next five years, you can give fifty thousand now, and then dole it out and take the deduction for all fifty now, and then dole it out ten thousand a year over the next five years if you wanted to. Yeah. Correct. Right. And give fifty thousand dollars of appreciated stock. Yeah. And you. 
Is, so, uh, there, is there a minimum for donor advice funds? Um, there's really not. You know, at the Community Foundation, we charge a minimum fee, but people can set up donor advice funds at, at any amount. We're now wrapping up our show, which I've said twice, and I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gasowich Frankel, please go to our website at gasowichfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. And let's, let's give each of our guests an opportunity to tell uh, what their contact information is so that uh, our audience can reach them if they need to. So, Christy, why don't you go ahead first? So, um, I'm Christy Eckhoff again. My phone number is 404-588-3183. My email is cekoff at cfgreateratlanta.org. Our web address is cfgreateratlanta.org and you can find all that information there and cf doesn't stand for craig frankel no it doesn't it stands for community foundation and evan for the 130th anniversary of hillside how do we get in touch with you uh i'm evan pearson director of development at hillside and you can reach us at 404-875-4551 our email is impact at hside.org and the website is www.hside.org. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Wealth Matters today. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X.